0: Greetings and salutations from Times Square, Crossroads of the World. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Hello again, and today is Tuesday, October 29th. We've got an interesting lineup of stories this week. First off... Simone Barabo will talk about not one, but two frauds that happen in muni financing transactions. Secondly, we'll talk to Chicago-based Kaylin Devitt, who will discuss the city's budget and their plans to close a huge deficit. And third, we'll talk to San Juan-based reporter Ava Lorenz, who gives us the latest on what's going on on in the Commonwealth with a myriad of court cases and the restructuring plan. Okay, so let's move on to Miami and Simone Barabo. How are you down there, Simone?
1: Doing well. I'm excited to get to talk about fraud today.
0: I know you. All these, like, when I read your stories, you've got the elements of a made-for-TV movie. You've got fraud. You've got offshore accounts, and you've got a supposed porn king, which I don't know if I'm allowed to say. But so, Simone, so tell me about this underhanded going on in the in the world of municipal bond financing.
1: Right. So normally when we talk about fraud in the municipal bond world, it's what I like to think of as fraud light. For instance, like a city manager not providing the proper disclosures to investors or a fund manager double dealing or, you know, finding creative and maybe not legal ways around debt ceilings or even like in Jefferson County paying officials to get bond business. But this week I got to write twice about actual honest-to-goodness, indisputable, (laughs) sitting-in-jail-for-decades-fraud, straight-up just taking bond money and running, and there were developments in two completely separate cases.
0: All right, so tell us uh, about, you know, how these frauds work about the first case and then the second one.
1: All right, so the first, this is in a Florida community development district, and we all know, know about those districts, the defaults, the dirt bonds, which were backed by nothing, right. that went bad in the housing bust a decade ago. But the case of Clearwater K is different. This was a mature community, and a developer came in, and he said he was going to make the place a tourist destination, and they issued bonds to build a whole host of fun amenities, including a lagoon, a canal, boat slips, a lighted waterfront promenade, mm. waterside entertainment. But instead of building those things, he did nothing. He just took the money and ran. So now he's in prison.
0: So what does that mean for the bondholders then in this situation?
1: The district has filed for chapter nine bankruptcy and that's unheard of. This is the first one where a community development district's done that. Plenty of the developers of the districts filed for Chapter 11, but no one filed for Chapter 9. You need the governor's permission to do that.
0: Right, I was about to ask you about that. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or at least the way I read the code and the way it's been interpreted in the past, you need the governor's permission, Mm -hmm. but that's being litigated here. In any case, last week they released a transcript of an earlier hearing, and the district is arguing that residents shouldn't be, and this is a quote, indentured servants to thieves. But someone's got to pay. So that's either going to be the residents or the bondholders. There's no one else. I mean, if money's not there, it's not there.
0: So what do you think is going to happen in this situation?
1: I don't know. I think it's going to be a very tall bar to clear to be able to move forward with with this bankruptcy without the governor's okay. The lawyer for the district is basically arguing that you only need the governor's permission if there's a financial emergency and that you can be insolvent without there being a financial emergency, which is what he's saying happened here. Technically, they could continue to charge residents the payments that back these bonds and that there's a lien on, but they shouldn't have to do that. And of course... I guess the Florida governor could okay the bankruptcy, but that's unlikely, I think, in general. I mean, Florida, given Florida politics, I think that would be a very tall bar to clear. So I don't know if we're going to get past that hurdle there. If we do get past that hurdle, I think it's another high bar to clear that you actually need the proceeds of the project to go to something worthwhile for whoever's on the hook for the project to still be on the hook for the project. I mean, that's not how it typically works, but you never know. You know, there have been a lot of very surprising developments in the Puerto Rico restructuring, so we'll see what happens.
0: We shall definitely see. So that was a very interesting first fraud story you wrote about. Let's talk about the other other fraud story, which involves the city of Chicago, somewhat, the Chicago Transit Authority. So go on and talk about that, Simone.
1: Right. It's not actually the Chicago Transit Authority. It's a trust fund run for the benefit of workers of the Chicago right. Transit Authority. And this one is, as you can just tell from that nitpicky statement, really, really complex. But it's basically the same thing as the other one when you get down to it. You had a couple of con artists, in this case the father-son duo. The father had already spent over a decade in prison for fraud, and the son was convicted of fraud after Ford's declared him Horn's new king. They got a tribe to sell 64, more than $64 million in debt. And then they allegedly just took most of the proceeds. So, like municipalities, tribal governments can sell debt. But this looked weird from the get-go. The bonds were supposed to go for economic development projects. These were never really defined. They were backed by the proceeds of the projects. That's not that weird. They were also backed by proceeds from a British Virgin Islands annuity that the funds were supposed to go into. Now, I've been doing this for a while, and I've never heard of bond proceeds going into an offshore annuity. Right. Right? I mean, (laughs) it's got to be a first. Exactly. Yeah, and this was apparently pitched as a no-lose prospect. Either the annuity paid for the economic development projects or the tribe, which is sovereign, could just default on the debt
0: was the tribe in support
1: it appears according to this complaint that they weren't the oglala sioux tribe they didn't vote to allow the sale and at least at one point they specifically barred the guy who was running the wakpomni lake community corporation from selling the debt plus no one wanted to buy this weird unrated debt so basically the fraudster The fraudsters had friends who were involved in a complex financial transaction to get the money into a bunch of municipal trusts. And now one of them, the Chicago Transit Authority Retiree Health Trust, is suing the law firms involved, which include Greenberg Traurig, which is obviously a huge law firm. Basically, they should have known this whole thing was a scam from the get-go, the way you and I just kind of laughed at the idea of putting bond proceeds in an offshore annuity who does that right so of course there was no british virgin islands annuity no shocker there was no there were no serious economic development projects they kind of half started some things but not really so in this case bondholders are pretty clearly left holding the bag there's no one else to hand the bag to unless they can get money back from the professionals it's just gone and so that's what they're trying to do now is they're going to the professionals and saying you should have told us
0: yeah definitely a lack of due diligence there
1: and it's the- More than just due diligence, it looks like there were actual conflicts of interest there, or at least ties that you don't normally see. The person who ran the community corporation, he was dating a lawyer from Greenberg-Trowing, which appears as though that's how they got involved. He also was kind of a bit of a maybe an unsavory arguably at least an unsavory character he had a payday loan business and that was one of the reasons that the the council of the tribe itself had said they didn't want him selling this debt
0: all right well very interesting stories you got there Simone thank you very much for your time thank you for your work thank you all right let's move on to Chicago Caitlin how are you doing out there
2: Good, but I'm not going to be able to beat that with my Chicago,
0: with my boring <laughs> Chicago budget stories. You're not going to mention a chance rapper on SNL. I don't know if you saw that. Uh...
2: I did see that. Yeah, I guess I could try to work that in, but fraud and foreign and all the other stuff. I don't all right. Think. Well, actually, there has been. It is Illinois and Chicago, so there is, always is some fraud angles, but. <sighs>
0: All right, so I'm going to ask you about the, the teacher's uh, strike, which is, I believe it's the ninth day. But let's get back to the story you wrote about, which is about the city itself and the budget. Uh, so the mayor, Lori Lightfoot, unveiled her first budget last week. So it looks like they, she closed nearly almost $900 million uh, budget gap with a mix of structural and one-time fixes. So, Caitlin, give us some of the highlights of the budget gap solution.
2: Well, the big highlights on our for our listeners our people is a one point three billion dollar refinancing that will lead to two hundred million in savings at least as the city hopes it'll lead to two hundred million in savings um, so the budget gap eight thirty eight as you said the two hundred million is a one timer that will go to close that the mayor and the CFO have spent time saying this is not a scoop and toss they're not pushing out maturities maturities of the existing Gos are 2040 and it's going to remain at that, but they're going to take all their savings up front. They hope it's going to be about 200 million. So that's straight up um, Uniland Alley, and then other there's also about 350 of new revenue, and some of that about 50 million of it relies on the state. That that number is recurring; it's structural. However, it's going to you know will grow in future years, assuming that the state does approve it. It's a progressive real estate transfer tax. So Lightfoot put $50 million in the 20 budget, and then it's expected, assuming it's approved, to generate about $100 million in the out years. There's also kind of different savings. There's $150 million from zero-based budgeting, some efficiencies, 140 from, quote, improved financial management. We're not quite sure what that is. Then there's a... $163 million reimbursement for some emergency manager first responding. That's a mix of kind of state and federal reimbursement. So she closed the budget with sort of a 60% structural, 40% one time, and then they do rely on the state for some of that. That They need the state's approval for some of it, so that's a little bit of a worry um, for some investors and for the city council.
0: So that leads to another Question I just thought off the top of my head. Um, the, like you said, the city still needs the, the state's help. So, how, how is the relationship, like, how is that gonna impact the city's budget ultimately?
2: Well, if the state ha- – so the the main thing in the FY20 budget that that they need – the city needs the state to re- a- approve the progressive real estate transfer tax. And as I said, that's $50 million this year, and it's $100 million in out years. So it will have kind of a big impact. When you're looking at an $850 million deficit, it's not huge.
1: Right. It's certainly
2: less than what they thought several months ago, the kind of common – um, expectation was that the Springfield ask was going to be huge from the city that they're going to be relying on, you know, a revamped casino tax structure for money and all this different stuff for the FY20 deficit. Turns out they're really only asking for that $50 million um, this year, which will grow. So that's going to be the big thing that they're going to um, ask for. And lawmakers just came back yesterday for the kind of a short it's called a veto session where they take up these different bills it's a couple days this week and then they have off next week and then they'll come back um, November 12th for a few days so that's probably when if they do take up this real estate transfer tax which they're expected to they're going to do that over those days
0: all right so let's go back to the budget so um, so how has the City Council and investors received the budget
2: well, as I said, he's um, budget hearings began yesterday mm-hmm. and um, so aldermen were peppering. And on the first day, it's sort of the general budget. So the main finance team shows up, the CFO, the budget director, the city comptroller. And so aldermen were peppering them with questions. And as I said, a lot of it has to do with, well, what's a plan B if the Springfield um, real estate transfer tax doesn't come through? So that was sort of a big concern. There were many questions about that debt refinancing, taking that $200 million up front. I mean, that's from the aldermen, so they're not exactly the most informed questions. But they're kind of just trying to figure out a little bit where it works. On the investment side, I would say, you know, you, I've heard some of the same concerns. Um, about Springfield, and again, less of an ask than we thought a few months ago, but still relying on it, relying on the General Assembly, which is always troubling. And then number two, oh, on the debt refinancing, investors really saying, like, how is that, you know, taking that, fine, that all that money up front on that first year might not be scoop and toss as we think of it, which we think of it as pushing out um, maturities and pushing you mm-hmm. know out near term debt service, but it's still sort of taking all that savings up front, there's still something a little possibly unsavory about it and Chicago of course, has a reputation for eyes relying on scoop and toss. so you hear um, concerns on the investor front from that on that as well
0: okay. Kayla, uh, I got one last question for you. Um, I know, obviously, you live in Chicago. The budget affects you, and now the te- the teacher strike, which is again, I believe, it's in its ninth day, it affects you because you're a parent. So, but has the teacher strike at Chicago public schools affected the city budget in any way?
2: Well, this it does. There you know they're separately there are formally two separate budgets and two separate bodies, but there is some um, impact the administration declared the largest ever surplus from its tax increment financing districts that's about 300 million of a surplus and the bulk of that 163 million or over 50 percent goes to cps and that's sort of a little sweetener that they get every year and then also now there's of late Some of the city budget stuff is entered into the negotiating table because the city traditionally covers a piece of the cps pensions and this year lightfoot doesn't want to do that and also they want cps to cover their own some of their own costs for some of the police and schools so those two things have now kind of those are both city budget pieces that have now kind of the union is using as things to complain about at the negotiating table so there's a little bit of crossover there
0: Kaylin, thank you for your uh, continued work on the city and the state in, of Illinois, and I hope uh, the strike ends soon. I mean, I'm sure you're enjoying the quality time with your child, but you know.
2: <laughs> yes, very much enjoying the quality time, as our <laughs> 350,000 parents across
0: <laughs> <That's>, the city. <laughs> that's right, okay. Alright, good luck to you. Thanks, Kaylin. Thank you. Okay, let's go to San Juan, Puerto Rico. Ava Lorenz, how are you down there?
3: fine everything is fine in here we have very beautiful weather today thank goodness
0: okay well that's we have the opposite in new york it's a little gray misty and kind of wet and they expect we rain for the rest of the week so oh enjoy enjoy it down there all right so thank you let's go on to um puerto rico the commonwealth and ava you're our puerto rico reporter tell us what's been going on there these days
3: well, um, Wanda Vasquez, uh, the governor, signed recently two executive orders seeking to approve cooperation between her government and the Financial Oversight and Management Board, which was a little bit shaky under the previous governor uh, Ricardo Roselló. And. But the the first order uh, would create a process in which the Commonwealth will inform the Financial Oversight Board of any impact that new legislation will have on the island's finances. That was one of the concerns that the board had raised in the past. And then another, it also establishes a protocol for agencies to inform the board of budget reallocation so that if an agency needs to reallocate money from its budget, it would uh, go through this process to seek uh, the oversight board's uh, approval. A second order pretty much coordinates all communications with the federal government through the governor's representative to the oversight board. So that's uh, two of the things that have happened here. Um, now, these uh, this executive orders come after last week a U.S. committee, the Natural Resources Committee in Congress, uh, held a hearing in which uh, it was examining uh, amendments to the PROMESA law. The Democrats were thinking about uh, codifying certain aspects of the PROMESA law, like defining uh, essential services, And they also called for uh, public pensions to be protected. Um, Natalie Lleresco at this hearing, she's the FOMB, the Oversight Board's director. She defended the job of the Oversight Board, and she said that these amendments were going to be detrimental or will set back what the Oversight Board was doing in terms of trying to take Puerto Rico out of bankruptcy and into the right financial path. Now, the governor never went to these hearings. Uh, She was heavily criticized because of that, because Uh, the critics say she needed to be there to show Congress that it can uh, rely on Puerto Rico and it can trust the government again because of the fact that uh, our image in Congress is not the best at this time because of all the things that happened recently in terms of uh, corruption. Also, the government recently... um, Put a stop to a proposed hike in energy rates uh, the Energy Bureau had authorized this hike which was less than one cent uh, It would probably would have been the equivalent of one additional dollar a month uh, And it was an energy efficiency rider to raise some funds to engage in energy efficiency programs But because of the public outcry the governor asked uh, the the regulator, the Energy Bureau, to put a stop to it.
0: Right. So that's uh, obviously with the with the Energy Board over uh, PREPA. So mm-hmm. talking about PREPA, which is right now obviously in bankruptcy. How are things going there?
3: Most recently, the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority suspended work uh, on about 15 shovel-ready renewable energy projects. And now there is an energy public policy uh, approved earlier this year that calls for Puerto Rico to move to supply all of its energy uh, using renewables, specifically by 2050, all of the energy has to be renewable energy. Now the, these projects were ready to be, they had all the permits and they were ready to be start construction, but uh, adding them to the, but they, this individuals who were using renewable energy planned to sell this energy to the to prepa at prices that were higher than 6 cents uh, per kilowatt hours so what happened was that the prepa decided just to put a stop to all of them and pretty much said that any project that was higher than 6 cents will not be uh, added to the power grid and uh, now this created some concern because uh, these projects were total about 500 million in new investments uh, obviously um, in terms of, um, of of the bankruptcy in for prepa uh, we still have uh, fuel line lenders and and some especially fuel line lenders and some of the insurers are still opposing the debt adjustment plan and uh, critics have said that this debt adjustment plan will resort in higher uh, energy rates.
0: All right, Eva, I got one last question for you. Let's talk about the overall Commonwealth's uh, bankruptcy. What's going on there on the bankruptcy front?
3: The Puerto Rico House of Representatives already rejected the Oversight Board's plan of adjustment, and they told the board they approve a resolution telling the board that they will not approve any laws that will enable these adjustment plans. Once the court approves it, they will not pass any laws that will help implement it. This uh, adjustment plan has been controversial because it proposes a, a cut in pensions. It's a small cut, 8.5% on pensions that are higher than $1,200 a month. But of course, uh, many lawmakers are concerned about the impact. Also, there is a rumor that Preet will be submitting its debt restructuring plan very soon. And of course, most recently, this just happened uh, yesterday. Judge Larote Taylor Swain decided to extend the stay she had imposed in June of this year, the compulsory mediation and stay on certain disputes involving the central government step. She extended it to December 31st and um, what's very important I think on the, in this resolution is that the mediation team leader, Judge Barbara Hauser, said that if the extension were granted, she was very positive about having reaching a consensus deal on um, the debt have just been planned by December and of course the, the, the Swain's ruling came you know amid objections by creditors, and a sure guarantee financial guarantee national public uh, finance guarantee corporation and of course a most recently now am which is another insurer uh, and it's trying to get more information and more do more discovery about puerto rico's finances
0: thank you ava for your continued work thanks again to kaylin devitt uh, Simone Barrabo and our producer, Anthony Phillips. But most of all, thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in week after week. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Muni Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.